Open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 3. In 1886, Robert Louis Stevenson first published his book, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where Dr. Jekyll had devised a plan, he believed, where he could indulge himself in all of the sinful things that his heart desired without being caught by simply drinking this potion that he had come up with that would transform his outward appearance from the smooth and refined Dr. Jekyll into the hideous Mr. Hyde. At first, Dr. Jekyll was able to control these transformations by drinking the potion, but eventually he began to transform involuntarily, at first in his sleep and even sometimes when he was conscious, until eventually he realized that he could no longer control the transformations, mortified by the fact that he had allowed this overt sinful side of himself to take control of him. He takes his own life. Interpretations of the book have been numerous through the years, but it is believed that it has resonated so strongly with people throughout the years because so many feel a certain kind of powerlessness over their sinful impulses. At times, it seems like they are transformed in a moment into something they cannot control, something they may not even want to be. In fact, they feel controlled by their impulses more than they feel able to control them. Well, James, in James chapter 3, has been giving us a similar kind of picture as it relates to the tongue, which we uh, talked about a few weeks ago is really a reference to your speech. He's talking about the tongue in terms of the little muscle that lives within your mouth, but really, what he's really talking about is our conversations, our communication, the way we talk. And he's telling us that the tongue is a kind of Jekyll and Hyde in your mouth. It can present itself at times as the sophisticated and refined and controlled Dr. Jekyll, but in a moment it becomes the crude and offensive and destructive Mr. Hyde. And the frightening thing about it is you feel that you cannot always control when the transformation takes place. Whether it is a rash tongue or a crafty tongue, a a false tongue or flattering tongue, a gossiping tongue, a foolish tongue, it seems to take control before you even realize it, and the destructive power of the tongue has its effect all around you throughout your days. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life, it destroys or it strengthens. It disrupts or it refreshes. It tears down or it builds up. It obliterates or revitalizes those who are around it. And James is basically telling us the same thing in these verses, that this is an incredibly powerful and destructive force, an incredibly powerful and destructive weapon in your mouth. And you basically need to learn to live in the fear of its power. Proverbs 13, he, he, excuse me, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. 
Or 21-23 in Proverbs. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of troubles. You keep yourself out of all kinds of miseries, all kinds of troubles, so much potential harm when you learn to keep and control and guard your tongue. You eliminate so much distress and anguish in your life. So the key question, as we posted a few weeks ago, is then, why wouldn't we do that? I mean, if we understand everything the Proverbs say, if we understand even what James is saying, why wouldn't we just simply put a guard over our lips? Why wouldn't we just control our tongue? Well, because it's just not that easy. Or or it's so easier said than done. And this is James's point as we are looking at this chapter. This, this is an incredibly important issue because it has so much control over our life, and yet it is something that so few people have control over. In fact, he told us back in chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, it deceives his heart and his religion is worthless. So this is not just an important issue for life. This is an important issue for eternity. Your, your tongue and your speech give a direct reflection on your eternal destiny. If you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a believer, if you claim to be headed for heaven, James is calling on you then to put to test your words, to put to test your conversation. He's already given us a number of ways by which we can evaluate such a claim. You know, if we claim to be a Christian, how do we respond in trials? Are we, are we double-minded? If we claim to be a Christian, how do we respond in temptations? Do we, do we blame God or do we accept responsibility? If we, if we claim to be a Christian, how do we respond to the Word of God? Are we doers of the Word and not hearers only? Are we, are we those who are, who are living out our faith with works rather than just claiming faith alone? All of these things James has already given to us, and now he's giving us this vital test of our speech, how you, how you follow through with your words says so much about what's in your heart, or as Jesus says it in John, excuse me, Matthew twelve thirty four, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, out of what is in your heart, the condition of your heart is what directly reflects in your speech. And that's why Jesus says a few verses later, by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. They are the clear indication of your spiritual character, so much so that on the day of judgment, God will, build, uh, God will be able to build a case for you or against you based on your words. Your words themselves don't determine your spiritual destiny, but they give evidence to it is the point. They reveal what is in your heart. So, you'll know a Christian by the way that they talk. You'll know a believer by the way that they talk. Do they have a tongue that's full of pride and arrogance? Is it full of boasting? Is it full of deception and abuse? Is it full of of bitterness and strife? Is it filthy? Is it sour? Or, on the other hand, is it full of mercy? Is it full of gentleness? Is it full of peace? Is it full of humility, sincerity, wisdom, and truth? 
All of these things are the very things that James is calling us to examine in our speech. Listen to the way he says it, beginning here in verse 1. Not many of you, he says, should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged by, stricter, uh, by greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us and we guide their whole bodies as well, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member and yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, James is presenting to us the dilemma of the tongue or the power of the tongue here, ultimately driving home the the domination of this tongue over our lives. What he's really angling for is what he gets to in the last part of this chapter, beginning in verse 13, when he begins to tell us where the source of all this stuff comes from. But before he does that... He's trying to make us mindful of the power of this poisonous instrument in our lips. He wants us to understand its effects, particularly four of them, as you consider and contemplate the power of the tongue. The first one we saw a few weeks ago, which is in verses 1 and 2, in the fact that our speech reveals our maturity. Our speech reveals our maturity. This is what he means in verse 2 whenever he says... That if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. A teleos is a word in Greek. It, it probably more um, appropriately would be translated a mature man, a complete man. He, he can be identified as a mature person, a mature Christian, if he's able to bridle or control or discipline his tongue. He says this because if you discipline your tongue, it reveals that you have already slayed and crucified the very things which are the source of the tongue. You have dealt with the attitudes of your heart, the idols of your heart. You have developed, if you will, in private those areas of your heart which ultimately give evidence in public through your speech. So when you deal with a when you deal with a murmuring tongue or a discontent tongue, and when you have overcome that, it demonstrates that you've dealt with the murmuring discontentment in your heart. When you deal with an arrogant tongue, you have dealt with pride already in your heart. 
When you deal with a slanderous and gossiping and backbiting tongue, you've dealt with jealousy in your heart. So when you find someone who's bridled their tongue and dealt with their tongue, it gives evidence of what is in their heart. It gives evidence that they have already dealt with all of these, all of these attitudes and issues that are remaining, if you will, abiding in their heart. You deal with all that stuff and you give evidence of a mature person. This is why not many should become teachers because a teacher just increases the avenues through which the sinful attitudes can be exposed. And at the same time, James reminds us that they're subject to stricter judgment. So he wants us to evaluate ourselves, evaluate our maturity in how we speak against those who have offended us, against those who have hurt us, against those who have wronged us. How do we speak about them and to them? Your tongue is the evidence of what's in your heart. Secondly, he wants us to be mindful that our speech magnifies our sin. Our speech magnifies our sin. It's just a it's just a small instrument in our, in our entire muscular makeup, but it has more leverage for destruction and, and condemnation than any of, any of our members. And James proves this, or illustrates this, I should say, with a couple of, a couple of analogies. He talks about these small little things which have outsized influence in life to exert its destructive force proportionally like the tongue way beyond its size in terms of its overall impact. And he talks, for example, about bits in the mouths of horses which can control these incredibly powerful creatures with relatively tiny pieces of metal that we put into their mouths. Or in in verse 4, the rudder of a ship which in spite of these massive, massive winds, this small rudder can fight against the power of these, uh, of these gusts and these winds and drive a ship wherever the pilot may steer it. And so he says in verse 5, so also the tongue, it's a small member and yet it boasts great things. It boasts great things. It claims great power and it can back up the boast. It's not, it's not overconfident or over, um, overextending itself whenever we say that the tongue sets the course of your life. Its small size should not hide the fact that it is one of the dominant things that changes the course of your life. It can destroy your opportunities. It can tear down your home, your family, your relationships, your church, your country. It can steer the whole course of your life. It can mar your reputation. It can destroy your business. This little instrument has so much power. In fact, in verse 5, James says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You don't, need a massive, you don't need a massive weapon to destroy a forest. Just a small campfire, just a little blaze, just a little spark. 
and it can consume an entire forest of trees. It's your tongue. The little words that you speak can be magnified, or I should say they magnify the impact of the sin that's in your heart. They, they take it and just, just accelerate what you think might just be hiding out in there. Now, we didn't get to this last time, but James expands on this idea beginning in verse 6. He picks up this image of fire, which he used in verse 5, and, and he adds to this in verse 6. The tongue is a fire. This is the basic image. It burns, it consumes, it scorches, it, it destroys. And this is what we find throughout Scripture, this, this image of the tongue as a fire. Proverbs sixteen twenty seven: a worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. So this worthless person is someone who lies in his bed or he goes to his, his uh, uh, little corner with his friends and they make their scheme and they make their plot and they, they set ablaze whatever it is that they are attacking and it just spreads like a forest fire. His speech is like a scorching fire. Proverbs 26, 20, for lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarrels cease. Their words are like the firewood, like the kindling of these massive destructive forces. If you've been around a while, you understand this. You understand whether it runs through your company or whether it runs through your organization or whether it runs through your family, you understand how these whispers and how these gossips and how these slanders and how these whatever it might be, even impurity and filth, you understand how it permeates with a scorching nature. And like a fire, it's difficult to control, it's difficult to handle, it's dangerous. And then James adds this. It's a fire, he says, a world of unrighteousness, a world, a cosmos, a world of unrighteousness. The word is, is one that we often use to refer to the earth. The cosmos is, is sometimes used to refer to the system of this world as well as the system of the universe. But here its basic meaning is that of a system. It is an entire system of unrighteousness. Your tongue is not an isolated element. It's not something that you can dichotomize and, and sort of set off by itself. It is an entire interconnected system. It is connected to so many parts of your life. It has tentacles that, all, that reach almost everything you do. It has consequences. It has dependencies. It is, a, it is an entire system that connects iniquity to all kinds of areas of your life. And because of that, it can inflame so many parts of your life. This makes it incredibly difficult to control. It's not just one small element that you can focus on. It is an entire world 
of unrighteousness, an entire system of unrighteousness, a, a network of all kinds of triggers and effects and outcomes. Now, James elaborates on this by adding these descriptions. He, he says this interconnected system, this world of unrighteousness, first of all, he says the tongue is set among our members, staining our whole body. This is his explanation of, of what he means whenever he says this is a world of unrighteousness. He says this tongue, it, it is so situated, it occupies such a strategic location, such a strategic position, not just so, not just so closely aligned and arranged near your brain, but so easy to use, taking almost no effort to use, and consequently very little forethought is required in its use. It's so set among your members in such a powerful way that it can stain the whole body, the whole person. Someone likened it to smoke damage. It's a fire that can be inflamed, and although it may not necessarily touch everything it wants to touch, the smoke of this flame reaches every part of your house, ruining everything, defiling everything, defiling the whole body. And you cannot separate the person from the tongue. If you have a filthy tongue, you have a filthy person. If you have a harsh tongue, you have a harsh person. If you have a grumbling tongue, you have a, you have a grumbling and discontent person because a tongue, a, a, a undisciplined and unguarded tongue, it defiles the whole body. It has an impact on the whole person. The tongue is positioned. It can destroy your entire life. It has an outsized influence. So many parts of your your body, so many parts of who you are face limitations. There are limitations in resources, limitations in strength, limitations even in location. But you have words that can fly from your lips and can go so far beyond where you can physically go and can do so much more damage than you could physically do. It can destroy people that you couldn't physically overpower. It transcends all of those limitations. By your tongue, you can insult and slander and gossip and curse and deceive. And by doing that, technically, you can, do out, you, you can, you can outdo any physical harm that you would want to do to anybody in any organization. This is, this is just a profound truth. I mean, those, those of you who, who have uh, been through uh, the, the, the kind of morale collapse that takes place on a team or in, a, in an office or in an organization, in a, in a company, and you look back and you find out what, what is it that actually caused that, and you, and you discover it was nothing but words. They're so powerful. Your tongue has the power to bring guilt on your entire person, defiling you, eternally even. Jesus says in Matthew 5.21, you've heard that it was said of old, those that you shall not murder, 
And whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable of hellfire. This is powerful stuff. You are defiled by your words. So your tongue is so set among your members that it can have a defiling, it can have a staining influence over your entire body. And James adds to this, the tongue is also so situated among your members that it is setting on fire the entire course of life and is set on fire by hell. He uses the language of a wheel. It's the wheel of life, literally The wheel of life, the course of life. And the idea is that the entire circle of your life, the entire circuit of your life going all the way around, the entire journey, we might say, of your life can be so set aflame by your reactions to whatever your circumstances are in your tongue. You say, well, yeah. But Shane, you don't understand. If you, if you knew the situation, if you knew the details, let me, just, let me tell you the details. No, I don't want to know them. But your response to your situations, you might think them justified. You might think them uh, legitimate, but you are inflaming the entire course of your life by your reaction with your lips. You're impacting your legacy. You're impacting in a lasting way relationships negatively that should not be impacted. You're diminishing yourself. You're destroying others. You're doing more harm than your arms and legs or any other part of your body could do. So much potential to be inflammatory to agitate, to worsen, to destroy the entire course of your life. I've met people, you know, we sometimes, we sometimes categorize them as sort of living in the past, but I've met people that, that had some wrong, some offense done to them, you know, a year ago, two years ago, ten years ago. And you get with them and that's all they want to talk about. They just... They just continue to pour out of their lips this bitterness, this anger, this unforgiveness. As if they're, they're living their life with no sense of the sovereignty of God. No idea that God has put them wherever He's put them. They are just continuing to destroy themselves, their reputation. And honestly, they are, they are staining people, everyone that they can get around. And then James gives this shocking statement that this tongue that is so strategically situated, having such a profound impact on the entire course of your life, he says, it is set on fire by hell. This is the real source of the fire. It isn't the other person, it isn't your enemy, it isn't your adversary, that's not where it comes from. The real fuel, the real oil that keeps the wick of this tongue burning is hell itself. You just let that sink in for a moment. The source is hell, or we might say the devil. The source is his way of thinking, his worldview, 
his value system, his perspective. Satan feeds all of this stuff into your mind and it becomes the fuel that inflames your tongue and you just spout out all of this stuff that you take in and then it turns, it turns around and it inflames the entire course of your life. And before you realize it, you have scorched everything. Unbelievable impact. Your tongue just magnifies whatever this stuff is that's in your heart. And then, somewhat to our dismay, James spells out a third effect of this poisonous tongue in verses 7 and 8. And that's the fact that our speech defies our control. When we start to grasp how dangerous this is, and then we hear what James has to say to us in verse 7, every kind of beast and bird, reptile, and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. I mean, this is just, this is frightening. This is frightening. He says the tongue cannot be tamed. You can't do it. We can tame a lot of animals. You can go to the circus. You can see a guy stick his head in the mouth of a lion. You can see, a, you can see an elephant who is led around by someone just a fraction of their size. I mean, you can look at birds. You can look at reptiles. You can see people hold snakes that are deadly. You can, do all, you can see all kinds of things. We can subdue all these animals, but we can't tame the tongue. We can cage them, we can breed them, we can raise them, we can eat them. I mean, this is basic creation theology, by the way. James is dipping back into Genesis chapter 1 where God told Adam and Eve, He told mankind that they have dominion over all the beasts of the earth and the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and we are to subdue them and throughout all of time we have been subduing them. We have been growing in our ability to control all of creation. And in spite of all of this dominance and superiority, what we still have not been able to do is we haven't been able to tame the tongue. This little muscle, this little piece of our bodies in some ways, which isn't so strong in terms of leverage, it can't necessarily move that much weight, but it still overpowers men and women every day. It dominates them. In fact, James says it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's like a prowling beast that's just pacing back and forth in its cage until we let it out. And when we let it out, we find it is full of deadly poison. Dangerous. And James says no man can tame it. It's an incredible amount of pessimism and skepticism, really. I mean, with everything that James has told us already about the power and the destruction of the tongue, and, and we read about that and we, we quake and quiver as we think about the destructive forces there, and then James comes and tells us that what seems to be uh, his, his assessment is This is the way it's going to be. It is pointless to even try to do anything about it because no man, no woman can tame the tongue. It will always overpower them. But the point here is we're going to see. The point is that no man, 
No woman, no human can tame this tongue. But there's someone who can. The person of Christ with His Holy Spirit, He has the power to transform your speech. Look with me for a moment over Colossians chapter 3 because Paul talks about this. Colossians 3 verse 7. He's talking about the entire transformation of our life, but he focuses in on so many of the issues of the tongue. Colossians 3, 7. He says this, In these you too once walked. He's talking about all the all the sins that he's just mentioned back in verses 5 and 6. He says, In these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. All of this slander, all of this anger, all of this, all this malicious talk, all of this obscene and filthy talk. And you can add to that in verse, in verse 9, do not lie to one another since you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So he's saying that that because you've been renewed, because you have the power of Christ, you can put aside all of these types of speech which, which characterized your old life and, by the way, characterized the unbelieving world around you. Filthy talk, obscene talk, slanderous, malicious, angry, wrathful talk. It goes on in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. You got a complaint. You have a grumble. You have an accusation against someone. What does he say? You forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule your hearts in de- into, excuse me, in, uh, to which indeed you were called in one body. This is total transformation. You're letting the peace of Christ so overpower your heart, so dominate your heart, You're letting the forgiveness of Christ and the mercy of Christ so overpower and dominate your heart that what you're beginning to see is your tongue is transformed. The malice and the anger and the complaining and the bickering, even the obscenities, all of those things are being laid aside as your your lips are being renewed in the power of Christ. In fact, he says there in verse 15 and 16, 17, that when the, the peace of Christ is ruling your hearts, instead of being a grumbler, instead of being a complainer, instead of being someone who is malicious and angry and bitter, what you find coming out of your lips is thankfulness. What you find coming out of your lips is wisdom, singing, spiritual songs. 
Just a grateful, humble, rejoicing heart. Ephesians 5, 4, Paul sounds a similar note when he says, Let there be no more filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. This is a transformed tongue. This is, this is what happens when you yield your heart to Christ. And this, by the way, is where James is heading. Back over to James chapter 3. He's giving us all of these warnings about the power and the danger of the tongue because he's setting us up for a contrast he's going to make down in verses 13 through 18 when he's talking about a kind of wisdom that is earthly and demonic and hellish. And it produces all kinds of bitterness and selfish ambition versus a kind of wisdom that he says is from above. And it is full of peace and good fruits and mercy and kindness. And as we'll see, there's a way to have the wisdom of God, the Spirit of God, transform your speech so that it is no longer set on fire by hell. But it is enlightened by heaven filled with wisdom from above before we get there there however James has one more effect of the tongue that he wants us to be mindful of not only does speech reveal our maturity and not only does it magnify the sin that's in our heart not only does it defy human control but then James drives home the point in verses 9 through 12 our speech displays what's in our heart Our speech displays our heart. He says in verse 9, With it, that is with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. With the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. There's a kind of Jekyll and Hyde in in your mouth. When your tongue is guided by wisdom, that is from this earth, when your tongue is guided by wisdom that is demonic and sensual and, and hellish, you, you give in and your tongue becomes an instrument of criticism and castigation and denouncement. It becomes a, a source of destruction within communities and within families. James, once again, by the way, is framing this within creation theology. Because he says these people that you are so busy criticizing are people who are made in the likeness of God. That's, that's creation language. Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness, let us fashion them. Man was made in the image of God and at that point he became, man, he became God's, God's envoy, if you will. His representative, his functional representative to have dominion over the earth and and to rule over it. And even after sin entered into the world, humanity fell into corruption, it fell into sin, and yet the image of God was still there. The, The functionality of God's image was still there, so much so that in Genesis 9, 6, long after sin had already corrupted all of humanity, long after man had already fallen into sin, and 
God had destroyed the earth by flood. Civilization was being reestablished with the descendants of Noah. And God gave this rule, Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds blood or sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. God, they're prohibiting murder and establishing the principle of capital punishment. So there's something fundamental to this image of God, something fundamental to us functioning and existing in the image of God that when you assault another human being, when you murder another human being, you are directly assaulting God. James says in a similar way, when you curse another human being, you are violating in a fundamental way this created order that God established. You are usurping God and you are establishing yourself in rebellion against Him. I I believe this is because you you are setting yourself up as the judge of whoever this person is. You are trying to take the role of, we might say, their creator. When you are are murdering them for whatever reason, when you are cursing them for whatever reason, just as we saw earlier, James perhaps picking up on the words of Jesus when Jesus says, when you curse your brother, you are guilty of murder. James is equating here that same idea. Whenever you curse your brother or your sister who are made in the likeness of God, you are doing those things which ought not to be. And then he asks in verse 11, does does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I mean, he states the obvious answer for us there. It's it's impossible. You you can't have from one spout uh, uh, fresh water one minute and salt water another. You can't have that. I mean, maybe some geological shakeup could take place and and you you could even have salt water spill over into a freshwater pond or maybe some underground stream, but you couldn't have one fountain which at one moment gives fresh water and another moment gives salt water. It's impossible. Same way, fruit trees, fig trees, olive trees, they produce fruit according to their kind, according to their genetic makeup. So what's James' point? That the words that come out of your mouth, they are revealing the spiritual makeup of your heart. You consider yourself a spiritual person. You consider yourself a spiritually mature person. You think that you know something. You can, you can speak about theology. You might even teach theology. And yet your heart is not full of wisdom from above. It's set on fire by hell. I remember bumping into a man one time who I learned so much from. 
in terms of theology. He taught me when I was younger. And I bumped into him and he was asking, you know, what I was up to. So I told him, you know, kind of what I was doing in ministry. I even mentioned to him that I had uh, gone on for some other advanced degrees. And, and he didn't like, I remember he didn't like one of the men that I studied under. And I just had this, this memory of standing in a building watching him spew so much bitterness and hatred and I I just listened to it for a little while and I finally had to stop him and I say you know what Uh, you know in terms of theology uh, I probably agree with you more than I agree with this guy who I'm currently sitting under but you know what I think based on what I've just heard he understands my current teacher understands more of the gospel than you do James says you can't have that. You can't, on one hand, have a a, a mouth that is claiming to praise God, claiming to bless the Lord and Father. And he uses particular language there in verse 9. Our Lord and Father. A lot of people believe uh, a a reference there to, to the unity, if you will, of the essence of Christ and God. You can't have this accurate theology and you're blessing God with all of the right songs and all the right praise and all the right theology. You can't have all that. And at the same time, while you're purporting to be the defender of all that is right and true, at the same time, with your lips, you are tearing down some other brother or sister. It can't, can't happen. Those things reveal what is in your heart, where your wisdom comes from. And so if your heart is producing that kind of foul language, if your heart is scorching, if your lips, I should say, are scorching, destroying, inflaming everything around you, don't pretend that you are somehow being faithful to the Lord. Don't soothe yourself that you show up on a Sunday morning and sing songs of praise and have accurate theology and bless God this way or that. Don't fool yourself. A spring can't spring forth fresh water and salt water at the same time. What is coming out of your lips is revealing what's in your heart. Is it being transformed by the power of God? Is it being fed with wisdom from above, pure, gentle, merciful, humble, impartial, sincere, peaceable? Or is it inflaming and scorching destroying homes and families and people and communities all around you. James has more to say to us about this in verses 13 through 18 as he takes us into the contrast of the source of our wisdom. And we'll get to that next week. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Father, we're, we're burdened to think that this 
powerful instrument in our heart and in our mouths might be revealing what's in our heart. As we cringe, thinking of the times we have let inflammatory speech come from our lips, speech that isn't full of humility and mercy and peace and good fruits. Lord, we, we understand the call for us to stand and boldly proclaim the truth. We understand the call for us to praise Your name and to speak words of sound doctrine, to worship in ways that accurately reflect Your truth, to hold fast to the Word of life. Guard us, though, from ever allowing those right and true things to somehow mask the undisciplined, the destructive forces that are alive in our heart. Lord, we want our lives to be sanctified through and through. We want our lives to be mature in private and in public. And so we ask you to help us to sanctify our speech. The one who's able to bridle his tongue. He's a mature man, a mature woman. And Lord, we want to have that in our lives. We pray for your help and your grace according to the Spirit. Amen.